district attorneys, people in power. Tune in next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and that will be right here on News Nation. And thank you so much for trusting us tonight on Balance with Leland Bittert is coming up next. I'm Elizabeth Vargas. We'll see you right back here again on Monday night. Have a great weekend and a great night. program tonight, Enough is Enough. The NAACP wants Oakland, California to declare a crime emergency. They say progressive policies make minorities live in fear. We have more crimes. We have more shootings. Uh, we have more homicides here. Will simply refunding the police fix things? Heat wave hysteria. How heat waves make people do some really crazy things. Age in office. End of quote. Repeat the line. And a string of... uh... One of America's oldest mayors tells us why it's unfair to make politics about age. I've got a lot of other things going on and I'm able, I'm with it every day. Aliens among us. What I personally witnessed myself and my wife was very disturbing. The stunning statistics that show it could be possible... After all, welcome to the Ferris show on television. First tonight, this Friday evening, fed up and fighting back. We knew it would happen. All the more interesting that it happens ahead of a summer weekend where crime typically spikes. And as we've reported for two years now, crime affects minority communities the most. Today, the NAACP of Oakland sent a scathing letter calling Oakland's California crime problem a public safety crisis. Quote, failed leadership, including the movement to defund the police, our district attorney's unwillingness to charge and prosecute people who murder have created a heyday for Oakland criminals. Again, this is from the NAACP of Oakland. We also encourage Oakland's white, Asian, and Latino communities to speak out against crime and stop allowing themselves to be shamed into silence. It's not racist or unkind to want to be safe from crime. No one should live in fear in our city. I've tweeted out the entire letter at Leland Vitter. When you get a minute, you should read it. It's stunning. But people in Oakland are scared, and they're scared with good reason. For example, the local CBS station spoke with a woman who was nearly carjacked. She was so traumatized, she wouldn't even go on air. In it, a woman is driving on Skyline Boulevard when the car in front suddenly pulls up, blocking the lane. No. Ah! Hmm. Now more from the NAACP letter. We are 500 police officers short of the number that experts say Oakland needs. Our 911 system does not work. Residents now know that help will not come when danger confronts them. Worse, criminals know that too. Cynthia Adams is with us, the Oakland NAAC president. Before that, she served 35 plus years in the Oakland Unified School District. We're glad to have you on, ma'am. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm fascinated by so many parts of this letter, but one line that struck me in particular was community shamed into silence. And I'm wondering if there was a moment that you decided we need to stand up now. Yes, uh, we decide this. 
we've been talking about what should we do, what should we do, what should we do. And each time we would meet, we would always discuss what's really going on in Oakland. And we just got fed up. Uh, you know when you have a glass and full of water, that have a little water in it, tiny water, and you keep pouring the water, keep pouring the water, keep pouring the water, soon the water gets full and it runs over. And it ran over with us. And it was time for us to say something. Bishop Bob Jackson and myself and other part of the community came together to write this op-ed about public safety. Public safety is so important in our community. It is so much that's going on uh, frightening. You know, you can't go to the Versatel. You can't go to the grocery stores. You can't put your groceries in your cars. You can't do anything. I understand uh, Monday on Broadway, it was a shootout. Someone was trying to take some, uh, do a, hij- a hijack a car, and they started shooting. So mm-hmm. we had to say something. We was too quiet. We was too quiet. And as you know, the old saying say, a closed mouth never get fed. And we had to open our mouth. We had to say something. And it's not just about one race. It's about everybody. And we want the politicians to come along and sit down and have a conversation with us so we can work together and work this out and make this a better city and a better Oakland. Well, it'd be, it would not be hard for things to get better because of how bad things are. Violent crime up 15%, aggravated assault 9%, robbery 22%, burglary 39%, motor vehicle theft up 49%. The fact that this came from the NAACP is significant because it seems as though over the past couple of years there has been this enormous effort, uh, and perhaps well-intentioned, uh, to defang, if not defund the police to not charge people because uh, uh, charging certain crimes was considered racist or wasn't progressive enough. There was better ways to fight crime uh, with community efforts on and on and on and on. This seems to be a very direct plea. And what I'm wondering is, I know you're in Boston for this meeting of the NAACP, what the response to this letter has been. Very strong. Uh, State President, just wrote a letter, an answer to the letter that we put out, and we're getting ready to send that out as well, so you will be getting a copy of it. Wow. All right. Well, we're, we're, looking, forward, we're looking forward to that. Tell me, how, how, how is it, I guess would be the best way to say it, that for so long it seemed as though the African-American community was all in on defunding the police and on prosecutors not prosecuting certain crimes, on and on and on and on, is that as though that w- was the real threat to the public safety of minority communities, that the police were the real threat and prosecutors were the real threat. And this letter turns all that on its, on its head. For however well-intentioned those thoughts were earlier, um, what changed? Public safety. Public safety. Our seniors... Our seniors are crying out public safety. As you know, a lot of seniors now are living longer, and they're still driving. They're still going shopping. They're still doing activities and everything. Public safety changed a lot of things. And when you're afraid to go out of your door 
to go to the mailbox to go to Cynthia, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to be able to play just one soundbite of somebody talking about just that issue that you you're speaking about. Take a listen. We have more crimes. We have more shootings. Uh, we have more homicides here. Uh, but then at the same time, we have less officers. There, there it is. That's what that's what you've been describing. How long do you think it's going to take to come back? As you point out in your letter, businesses have left. The economic engine of Oakland, which used to be really a powerful economic engine with the ports and, and industry there, that's gone. A lot of it's left because of crime. Uh, the, the stores that were in the minority communities have pulled up and left because they went out of business because of the shoplifting and the violence. Do you think it can come back? It can come back, and it will come back. And we're going to make sure it comes back. We're going to all work together. We're going to sit down at the table, and we're going to bring it back. It can come back. Jobs can come back. Business can come back. We have to be able to work together to be able to bring it back. But it will come back. All right. Well, th- this is an enormous start to that happening, uh, is people like yourself it's being willing to talk start. about it and, and talk about how uh, other minority communities need to come out and speak about this. Uh, and do so honestly. It's the only it's the only way. Uh, we're really glad to have you. We're going to look forward to seeing that letter uh, that's coming out and having you back on the show, ma'am. Enjoy the rest of the weekend uh, at the convention. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so yeah. much for supporting the letter and also supporting the Oakland branch in WACP. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anytime. Next week, only on News Nation, join us for a special live town hall edition of Cuomo focused on crime in America. Chris hosts a live audience from across the country, giving viewers their chance to put questions to people in power. This letter is going to play a large part in the town hall. Tune in next Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on News Nation. Live pictures of the Capitol back here in Washington this week. Health concerns on Capitol Hill became a bipartisan problem. 81-year-old Senator Mitch McConnell plans to keep his role as minority leader, although there's a little bit of talk in Washington about Republicans maybe working to find a replacement after what you're watching on your screen right now. Earlier this week, he literally froze while speaking to reporters. He stood silent for 30 seconds before shuffling away. Turns out he might have had a couple of falls that were kept from the public in the past month or so. He had that concussion back in January. On the Democratic side, we still haven't really gotten an answer about what happened with 90-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein. She appeared confused when asked to vote on a measure. She was sitting on the House floor, and rather than voting, well, she delivered a speech. Take a listen. That's an increase of $26 billion for the Department of Defense, and it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just I. Thank you. We were the first to point out Mr. Biden now uses the mini stairs on Air Force One. At least he have another embarrassing fall. For the next 10 days, Mr. Biden will talk to the media even less than normal. He just started a 10-day beach vacation. Of course, Mr. Biden at 80, Feinstein at 90, McConnell at 81. Make it easy to talk just about age. But maybe age isn't the right way to look at it. Mental ability, acuity, is a problem even for younger senators. Just today, the New York Times dropped a feel-good feature about Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania. 
John Fetterman, hoodie and all, is adjusting to life in the Senate. The headline conveniently leaves out his inability to form sentences. Demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I, was, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Really, like the, you know, the 95, 95, 95. I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. To be fair, maybe age is just a number, and the attacks on older politicians are nothing more than cheap political tricks. Enter Surf City, New Jersey Mayor Francis Hodgkin. He's 90 years old, currently serving his 54th year in public office, running for re-election. His running mate is his 61-year-old son. And the mayor is with us now. Mayor, good to see you. Um, all right. Well, what do you make of all these attacks on older politicians? Well, first, I should tell you, I'm 91 years old. Okay? And the attacks on the politicians, if... They should take a test to see if they're able, if they can cope with it and, and stand the rigors of the job. Uh, I've got a lot of other things going on, and I'm able, I'm with it every day. Uh, we, uh, you know, we brag about our town. We got the lowest tax rate around. We got a $5 million surplus, and uh, we have no, no indebtedness. Well, so, it sounds like Surf City, New Jersey has been doing pretty well uh, under your stewardship. I, I was fascinated. We were talking before the segment. You were telling me about the white beaches and what a great place it is. Uh, have, heaven on earth. Uh, you are not the oldest mayor. Uh, that title belongs to a 98-year-old two-term mayor of Tinton Falls. He's believed to be the oldest mayor in, in, all, of New, in all of the United States. But I guess what I'm wondering is, uh, you didn't take a test. The voters decided themselves. And there's all this discussion about whether politicians should take tests or not. Should they take tests or should the voters just be able to decide on their own? Well, it's a combination of both. Uh, the voters know when they, they, they see what's happening. Like right now, when you see Biden, uh, the, the, all the tests in the world won't convince the voters of whether he's, he's with it or not, uh, they see your action. And uh, action speaks for itself. So I guess I'd leave it up to the voters. All right. Fair, fair, fair enough. Um, I think about the most famous moment when it comes to about age and a politician, right, was Ronald Reagan uh, in 1984. Take a listen. I recall yet that President Kennedy had to go for days on end with very little sleep during the Cuba Missile Crisis. Is there any doubt in your mind that you would be able to function in such circumstances? Not at all, Mr. Truitt, and I, and I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. <laughs> You remember that, don't you? Absolutely. That says it all. Been there and done that. That's when you're, you've got a lot of experience when you get to be my age. You know where you're going to be just as you approach the problem. All right. So, so I got only got one question. Uh, when's your son going to be ready to take over at some point? You think, is he ready to be mayor yet? Or are you still, he still needs a few more years of seasoning? Well, he's president of the council right now. And so he, 
he backs he backs me up, and uh, the rest of the governing body, we're all in one mind. That's what makes our government tick in this town. We're all in one mind. We know which route we want the town to take, and God bless, they all agree with us. Unanimous. <laughs> well, sometime we might come up and visit you in Surf City. It sounds like a beautiful spot, a well-run city. Uh, congratulations, Mayor, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. God Enjoy bless. Yes, sir. We've been hearing a lot of talk over the past couple of months that the government knows about aliens and UFOs or might have even captured some alien spacecraft. We've heard a lot about it this week, but most of all of it's been hearsay, interesting hearsay, but still lacking incontrovertible proof. Now we're going to add some concrete science and the numbers will shock you whether you believe in UFOs or not. So there are two issues here. Do aliens exist and have they ever visited Earth? Congressman Tim Burchett, of Tennessee is convinced the answer to both questions is yes. Wouldn't the easiest thing in the, pe- in the world for the Pentagon to say is, look, uh, China and Russia have all these weapon systems, which they do, and we need more money for them, but we think we've identified alien craft. We don't need a billion dollars. We need another $500 billion to, to ramp up production and to, to deal with this threat from UFOs. If the Pentagon wants more money in, in, to get bigger, wouldn't telling the truth about UFOs be the easiest th- way to get it? The people that go fight our wars, the Pentagon, they'd be out of business because we wouldn't be over in the Middle East, we wouldn't be in Ukraine, we wouldn't be fighting these worthless wars all over the world, the, the billionaires would have to come answering to us because we would, could heat our homes, uh, we, could, we could cool our homes in, in, the, in the summer, we could heat our homes in the winter, and it, it would put them all out of business. Of course, anything's possible in this crazy world. For a little bit more on the science, Liberty Vittert here happens to be the host of MIT's Data Science Podcast, Data Nation, feature editor of the Harvard Data Science Review, professor at Washington University in St. Louis. The court has accepted you as an expert, at least in the numbers part. You feel like you're an expert in everything, I guess, but hey. All right, this is TV. So, look, Let's deal first with the question, are there aliens? It seems as though there almost certainly have to be, right? There's two questions here. The first is, does life exist elsewhere? And the second, is that life intelligent enough to be thought of as an alien? You know, what well, we and third, has it ever visited us? Third, is it ever visited us? Okay, there's three questions. So statistically speaking, the concept that there is life elsewhere is almost 100%. The chance that it's intelligent, that this life that exists is intelligent, is about 60%. So how, so, how, since, look, typically science, you look backwards and you go, you know, you were able to run this fast earlier, or, you know, you flipped a coin this many times, it's 50-50, there you go. How, since we've never been able to determine this, how do we get to the idea that it's 60% and it's not 6% or 99.6%. So we get to this through something called Bayesian statistics, which sounds fancy, but it's not. It's just the chances that these things have happened. Earth started about fi- life on Earth started about 5 billion years ago as soon as it wasn't too hot, life started. So if you assume these other planets follow the same trajectory as Earth, which is what when you're talking about how many f- coins you flipped, what's the chance? What's the chance that there's planets like Earth out there that exist in the same space in the same time? So if you make that assumption which is an assumption that there are other planets like Earth, and we know there are other planets like Earth, then there are the chances that life has arisen and that life could potentially be intelligent. And right, that's so, that, the so, now, so now we're at 60%. So to estimate the number of alien life is the Drake equation. The Drake equation is used to estimate alien life, and it takes into account these 
possibilities, these probabilities. So the bigger than question comes, have aliens visited us? The chance I would say of that, I'm a statistician, I never want to say 0%. Could a golden retriever, you know, attack you? Sure, a golden retriever could. Are they? No. So, like, I don't want to say 0%, but it's basically 0%. Because the closest alien population is probably about 20 million years away. Now, that means there are not little green men running around Earth. There is a chance that some of their technology has visited us. And Professor Avi Loeb, who you've had on, who I work with at Harvard, he is studying this. And there is the possibility that there have been items that have landed on Earth, landed in the ocean, that are from alien populations. That chance is real. How long would it take to reach alien life? Assume a box that's 2,000 light years on each side. It will contain 100 million stars. In 100 million star boxes, there is one sophisticated civilization. That means the nearest aliens are probably one to 2,000 light years away. Today's fastest rockets would take 20 million years to get there. We assume that there is nobody who is more sophisticated than us in this equation. But if you're the other professor at Harvard, Avi Loeb, who we had on, fantastic interview, uh, he made the point that they may have technology that we don't. And if that crashed into Earth, that would be some of the, the evidence that we're seeing. Exactly. That does not mean there are aliens that have crashed into Earth. It just might be that their technology has come to Earth. That's a very different thing and very different ability to have a a living being come to Earth versus just some of their technology. Yeah, no, but but still, the the idea of still studying this is, is fascinating. All right, Liberty, it's good to see you. Thank you very much. This Sunday, Brian Itton hosts two hours of live special coverage, 9 p.m. Eastern most dramatic moments from this week's historic UFO hearing, live roundtable featuring the people who broke this story wide open. Tune in Sunday right here on News Nation. In Arizona, every single student in the state gets to choose where they go to school. It's extremely popular and very controversial. Teachers unions hate it. The man behind the program when we come back, plus gas prices are the highest we've seen in the last eight months. Mr. Biden afford to see them rise further ahead of the 2024 election about our progress in building an economy from the middle out, bottom up, not the top down. If your school is not meeting your child's needs, Arizona has adopted empowerment scholarship accounts. The accounts help parents pay for any school of their choice. Everybody should have a fair chance at education. It has afforded us the opportunity to be able to educate in the way that we see fit as parents. Learn more at azed.gov. Come this fall, every kid in Arizona, rich, poor, white, black, smurf, can attend public school or get a $7,200 voucher for any school. It is shockingly popular, perhaps we should say unsurprisingly popular. Since launching last September, it's grown from 12,000 students to more than 59,000 students, pacing projections. State education officials estimate enrollment could grow to 100,000 by next summer. But opposition has also been growing to the program. Tom Horn is here, superintendent of Arizona schools. All right. This was a Republican initiative in the state legislature. Uh, Tell me what so far has been the best argument for it. For school choice? Well, there's no one more important uh, to to parents than their child. And, And they're the ones that know their child best, and they know what's the best education for their child. We have excellent public schools, but even a good school doesn't necessarily meet the needs of all the children. So if the if the school doesn't meet the needs of a particular child, the parent should have a choice to go to another school. Rich people have always had that choice. 
Now people of all economic levels have that choice, and that's right. All right, so back in 2018, uh, this failed as a ballot measure. Then the state legislature um, pushed it through. Uh, 2018 obviously was was a midterm election. President Trump at the time was president, uh, but you've you've made some powerful enemies uh, in this. Uh, among them, the uh, Attorney General, who says that uh, she may investigate, and also Randy Weingarten, um, president of the teachers union, who well doesn't like anything about school choice. Take a listen. There are no controls on this program. There's no accountability, and they are spending hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayer money, and that needs to be looked at. They just don't want public schools. You know, they, you know Milton Friedman didn't want public schools. They, didn't, they wanted to have choice or universal voucher systems, but this time, they don't even care if they even have public education and they will brutalize anyone who is in their way. Are you brutalizing anybody? No, I'm not brutalizing anybody. I'm, I actually love public schools. Um, I went to a public school. My four children went to public schools and did very well. My main job as superintendent of public education is to improve the public schools. Uh, uh, we have many excellent public schools in Arizona. But as I mentioned, even a good school might not meet the needs of every child. And rich people have so always why, had. Why, why do you think it's so important? If, if you are such a proponent of public schools, and, and I un, I understand what you're saying, and we got to take yeah. note how popular this program is. But right. why 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 is it so important to have vouchers if we can't make public schools as good as any school? We want to make the public schools as as good as good as we can, and that is my overwhelming objective. Every one of my 600 employees knows. They have to be working toward that goal of increasing academic performance in the public schools. That's our overwhelming priority. But yeah. but even the best school doesn't necessarily meet the needs of all the children. Yeah. And, and we have families that have two children in public school and they're happy. But one child, that child's needs are not being met and they and they send them to a private school with yeah, our no, with it's, it's, a fa it's a fascinating program. It's a great conversation. Um, and obviously, a lot of people are signing up. We're going to follow it uh, and see if we can get some of the data in terms of how, how the kids were doing this uh, and taking yeah, the vouchers I, do. Thank you, sir. Thank you. If I could just add one thing, it makes the public schools better if they have competition. Competition is better for everybody. Uh, that's why the United yeah. States was prosperous and the Soviet Union was poor, because we had competition. And they used to say in Poland, they pretend to pay us and we pretend to work because it was a government monopoly. And the same thing applies yeah. to education. If they have competition, they're going to do better academics so they don't lose their children to the private schools. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think you have, you've scared some people who don't want any competition. Maybe, maybe part of the reason for the anger at this. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Ahead of his 10-day beach vacation, President Biden made a stop in Maine. Maine is, of course, a <clears throat> favorite summer vacation spot for many. And while he was there, he claimed victory over inflation. Earlier this week, the Washington Post suggested Republicans may have to find something else to criticize me for. Now that inflation is coming down. Maybe they'll decide to impeach me because it's coming down. I don't know. I love that one. Oh, anyway, it's another story. Yeah, while on vacation, he might want to hold off popping any inflation-busting champagne. Gas prices hit an eight-month high today. The national average is now... $3.73, up from a month ago, and way, way up. 
from $2.39 the day Mr. Biden took office. Ian Samuels here, Harvard fellow, law lecturer, friend of the show. And we've been talking about this a long time, which is this huge disconnect between how President Biden says the economy is doing and how people are feeling. The most visible sign of inflation and of price pain is at the gas pump. This, this doesn't seem good right now. No, it doesn't seem good. And you know what always strikes me as very strange about our, our national discussion of gas prices is we essentially hold the president or the governing party generally responsible for what gas prices are, even though they, of course, have no direct control over those gas prices. And yet what I never hear even supposedly liberal or at least center-left politicians like Joe Biden propose is direct government control over gas prices. Right. There is no regulatory agency that sets gas prices in the United States. You could have one. I mean, you could nationalize the entire sector. But let's not go crazy lest your previous guest accuse me of being a Soviet. Um, what I think is strange, though, is that we sort of have all these indirect measures that affect gas prices, but they're quite indirect. Whereas if we wanted to, we could just say the price of gas in the United States shall be two dollars. Yeah, OK, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, well, you know, look, Ian, I don't think anybody accused you of being a Soviet, maybe a wannabe socialist or something. I mean, the Soviet seems a little awfully drastic. I know you pretty well, but but look, OK, biggest problem facing the United States is inflation. OK, crime is number two. Better or worse off than a year ago. Forty one percent of Americans say worse. That's what everybody's going to be talking about over over summer vacation. And I'm I'm wondering at what point is the break glass moment for this administration? Because you're right there. There's not a direct control over gas prices, but there's a lot of indirect control. You could all of a sudden approve the pipeline from North Dakota to California uh, for North Dakota uh, fracking and North Dakota oil to be pumped to California, and you'd lower the price of gas substantially. Um, Keystone XL pipeline, on and on and on and on. Where do you, where do you think the break glass moment is, or, or do you see sort of this uh, environmental orthodoxy that will, will really never be broken no matter how much pain everybody feels? Well, I think there's a pretty reliable guide to this uh, from the earlier part of the Biden administration, where at a certain point uh, where you remember those stickers people were putting on the, you know, the gas pumps uh, in the up to the midterm elections saying, hey, Joe Biden did this. Uh, they released a huge amount from the U.S.'s uh, strategic petroleum reserves uh, to help bring down gas prices. And that, that did something of the job, right? It wasn't perfect, but it did bring prices down. What's been happening since then is the United States has been engaging in repurchases to fill those reserves back up. Yeah. And at a certain point... And I don't think we're too far from that point. I mean, I think right now we're in the summer of an off year, right? So it's like if prices have to be high sometime, they're going to be high now. But if we get into 2024 and gas prices are still hovering where they are, I would expect to see changes in policy in that respect. We'll stop those repurchases and start releasing, uh, you know, essentially state-owned petroleum into the market again to bring the prices down or lean on our friends in, you know, Saudi Arabia and the other oil-producing countries in the Middle East. Hmm. But I'll just note. The United States is a net exporter of crude oil. We produce enough oil for all of our own needs. So, again, that nationalization idea might start to become attractive at a certain point. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll have, we'll have you back to talk about it. Then you can go full Soviet on us. Have a good weekend. Ian. I like it. Yeah. You too. All right. Live pictures of the Capitol where the United States thinks it can help solve the big problems in college athletics. They have some thoughts. What could possibly go wrong with that? The House started its summer break today. They won't be back in Washington until September. Some might view that as insurance that Congress can't screw anything up in the month of August, but 
you'd be too wishful in your thinking. Because when they get back, they might try to force big changes to college athletics. Senator Joe Manchin and Tommy Tuberville don't much like the NCAA's name, image, and likeness program since it started two years ago. College athletes turn their Instagram and TikTok into major profit centers. Bronny James, $6.3 million. Livy Dunn makes $3.3 million, has 11.9 million followers. As a college gymnast, she had little chance to ever cash in unless maybe she made it to the Olympics. The new rules turned her into a heartthrob and also a millionaire. Arch Manning earns $2.8 million, and he's still in high school. But that isn't good enough for the senators. They think Congress can help things, including prohibiting inducements, give the NCAA authority to prohibit certain NIL agreements, including those that would involve alcohol, drugs, or conflicts with existing school and conference licenses, require athletes to complete the first three years of academic eligibility before being allowed to transfer without a penalty, and give the NCAA oversight over NIL activities and the authority to investigate them, and much, 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 much more. Matt Brown points out the first congressional hearing showed Congress might not even know what it's doing. Quote, I watched the last big, dumb NIL hearing so you didn't have to. If you want to help create policy that will help college sports, then do the homework and treat that hearing like you're actually doing the business of the people of the United States. Matt Brown He's the newsletter publisher for Extra Points, joins us now. Matt, uh, you may have even a lower opinion of Congress than we do here on the show. Welcome. We're glad, we're glad to have you. Uh, and, and perhaps with more reason, why on earth do you think Congress, that can't fix anything right now, uh, immigration to, to name one, the Defense Department to name two, on and on and on, why are they sticking their nose in college sports? It's a it's a fair question. The the biggest reason right now is because the NCAA is begging them to. The president of the NCAA is Charlie Baker, the last governor of Massachusetts, and the NCAA went out and specifically hired a politician because they understood that they were going to be needing federal help. Uh, you have university presidents, you have conference commissioners, and just about everybody who works on the administrative side of college athletics is specifically asking Congress to be involved. And the big reason for that right now is because absent. Of, uh, of, of a unifying federal NIL bill, we have well over two dozen state-specific NIL bills. And all of those uh, allow slightly different things. They have slightly different restrictions. A, a few of them recently would essentially prohibit the NCAA from penalizing any school in that state at all. So absent any kind of federal rule, college administrators believe we need the feds to create something here for us and maybe solve a couple of these problems. Um, Manchin and Tuberville are certainly not the only two uh, senators who have proposed yeah, let, me, let me just ask you this. Like, Congress, yeah. Congress makes a mess out of just about anything and everything they have ever touched. Okay, we, we can agree with that. The interstate highway system they got right. There's a few other things, but not many. Uh, what makes us think that they're going to get this right and not just muck it up for, for kids now who are finally being able to get paid for doing real work? It's a very reasonable question and one that even athletic directors will ask, too. And I, I can yeah. say this as somebody who's had to watch a lot of these hearings, not just within the, the U.S. Senate and U.S. House, but at the let state me, level. Not a lot of people just, really let me, understand let, this Let me interrupt industry. you for one second because yeah. I want to get this in. Is, is there a chance that we're looking at this all wrong? And it's better to just go the opposite direction and tell the NCAA to go take a hike and treat college athletes like what they are, which is effectively, especially for, for football and basketball and these other sports, they're pro athletes. And just treat them as such and move on and, and get the NCAA out of it. 
That is something that some Democrats and some Republicans would say that's exactly what we should be doing. And that also speaks to the urgency for why the NCAA is seeking federal help right now, because they understand that there are multiple federal cases working their way through the judicial system that will mandate exactly that. Johnson v. NCAA happening right now in Pennsylvania is deciding whether some athletes should be classified as employees. The National Labor, wow. National Labor Relations Board is doing the same thing. So the NCAA is hoping, hey, if we get Tuberville, if we get Ted Cruz, if we get some other lawmakers yeah. to preempt that and say, yeah, well, the they're scared. not employees, then you're, then you're set. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah, yeah, it's, an it's act explain, of desperation. everything. Just follow the money. All right. Hey, uh, we're going to have you back to talk about this, especially around football season, because it's going to heat up. We'll talk soon. Coming up, the summer crime wave isn't going anywhere. Next, how we talk about crime will continue to change as well. We was too quiet. And as you know, the old saying say, a closed mouth never get fed. And we had to open our mouth. We had to say something. And it's not just about one race. It's about everybody. It's a little bit from our interview earlier with Cynthia Adams of the NAACP. Their Oakland chapter sent a scathing letter Quote, African-Americans are disproportionately hit the hardest by crime in East Oakland and other parts of the city. Failed leadership, including the movement to defund the police, our district attorney's unwillingness to charge and prosecute people who murder and commit life-threatening serious crimes, and the proliferation of anti-police rhetoric have created a heyday for Oakland criminals. Monday night, Chris hosts a town hall on crime in America to discuss these very issues, and he's with us now It does feel, and boy, what a great time to have this town hall, like the pendulum is swinging back uh, from 2020 and 2021, that that now minorities are realizing that the biggest threat is not the police. Uh, Listen, uh, I I hear you. Uh, It is an interesting time for this. You know, I remember early on when I was on here. I don't know if it was on your show I heard you, but I, or when we were talking maybe with Mike Korn, our boss, but you made a really interesting point that I have since stolen and been making all the time, which is, you know, News Nation is more of a movement than it is a media company. And it is really kind of reengaging the country. News Nation means America, not us, right? And crime and the conversation on crime is right square with our mandate. So... We're taking the town hall. We're taking the initiative of this moment, as you just laid out, Leland, to have a conversation, not focusing it on one celebrity or one person in the lens of their perspective, cross-section, different cities, different police uh, commissioners and officials, uh, different mayors, to really have an open conversation about what's happening, where and why, and what's working and what isn't. Well, I, I appreciate now getting the credit. Feel free to steal it in the future without attribution. Uh, we'll keep the tape. But I, I, I'm wondering, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking, though, about, about this town hall, and I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that the NAACP now, in Oakland, California, of all places, has, has come out and said the things that they have said and, and talked about how communities of color uh, were sort of bullied into silence. And now all of a sudden, they're the ones dealing with the worst part of the crime epidemic Mm -hmm. and that the very people that all of these maybe well-intentioned progressive policies were designed to help are now hurting the very people they were designed to help the most. And and how Uh, how you turn that around. Again, spot on. Uh, Look, it's actually a good signal. 
Um, and, you know, Jordan Peterson has a good line. Uh, fear, single factor explanations for complex problems. Crime is a complex mm-hmm. problem. It has always been true that minority communities uh, want policing the most. They just want fair policing and policing that works with the community, but they need it because they have the most threat. So the idea of defunding the police was always stupid. Okay, it was poorly articulated, uh, even if well-intentioned. And these communities now are paying the price for what we know is a pullback in policing. Why is there a pullback in policing? There are different reasons in different places. We'll discuss it Monday night. But we can definitely get to a better place. And I believe the NAACP is uh, signaling a mindset uh, that the political left should pay attention to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really glad you're doing the town hall. It's really an important conversation and an honest one to have. Uh, Chris, have a great weekend prepping. We'll see you on Monday, all right? You too. Be well, brother. All right. Special edition News Nation Town Hall. Crime in America, Monday night, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Coming up next, you've heard it's getting a little hot this summer. It's funny. The heat makes people do some crazy stuff. Unlike any other, Mercy Ships, a floating hospital staffed by volunteers, heroes of mercy who donate their time to save lives. Every human has the right to have a place at the table of the human race. If you could just see the smiles that you get when lives have been changed, then it would make it all worth it. To learn more about Heroes of Mercy, go to mercyships.org. All right, son, time to put out this campfire. Dad, we learned about this in school. Oh, did you now? Okay. What's first? Smokey Bear said to. First drown it with a bucket of water, then stir it with a shovel. Wow, you sound just like him. Then he said. If it's still warm, then do it again. Where can I learn all this? It's all on SmokeyBear.com with other wildfire prevention tips. Because only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. In case you haven't heard, it is hot these days, something that unbelievably happens in the summer. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. How do we move forward as climate change is, is taking over every part of our lives almost? This summer feels like a page torn from the book of Revelation. Uh, well, we are learning the Heat makes people do some crazy things, like CNN, who tweets about this summer's record-breaking heat wave using a picture of people escaping the heat outdoors wearing sweaters, scarves, and masks. No, we didn't Photoshop that. They actually tweeted that. But don't worry, President Biden yesterday offered a way to stay cool inside. We also have a number of programs to do everything from Uh, allow people to have the ability to get help to literally paint the roofs white. The Los Angeles Times suggests an occasional blackout could help solve climate change. The New York Times wants you to know if it's safe to go outside while navigating, in their words, the cruel summer. The heat makes people do crazy things, especially when they're inside in the air conditioning and have the time to try and think about crazy things to do. The winner is Congressman Greg Kesar of Texas, who went on a nine-hour hunger and thirst strike, nine brave hours. 
to push for more federal regulation about heat. And it was tough. At one point, he needed cooling towels and even a pulse oximeter, a pulse oximeter to see if he could just get through nine hours. We hope you have a great weekend. Stay cool, even in the heat. But as we showed you, the heat can make people do crazy things. If you see something that deserves our attention, send it over on Twitter or Instagram, at Leland Vittert. I'll see you Monday. The hottest show on TV with the coolest guy on TV, Chris Cuomo. Here you go. Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. 